Hey gorgeous, this is episode number 141. Hi, this is Dara Brustein. You are listening to Heart Cells Podcast with Christine Schlonsky. Enjoy. Well, I am so excited to have Dara Brunstein on the show today, and we are going to dive deep in how to be you and sell more, what Dara thinks about the natural-born salesperson and how you can develop your skills while feeling amazing and making a big, big impact. Dara stands for entrepreneurial empowerment, and she sure has proven it. For the past 10 years, she founded and scaled two businesses in tandem a networking events company serving over 30,000 people and a payment processing company spanning 38 states in the US. Dara's thought leadership articles on lifestyle design have been read by over a million people across Forbes, Entrepreneur and Thrive Global. Her motivating motto, build a life of your own design, a career to fund it, and a network to support it has inspired thousands to reach higher and dream bigger. She was named number one to follow by Boss Babe magazine. And most recently, Dara launched a video series, Diving Deep with Deepak and Dara, to make deep topics relatable and translatable into your own life. So I'm so excited to have Dara on. Make sure you have a pen and paper. And if you need to go back, you can always re-listen at christineschlonsky.com. Find the podcast tab with the show notes, the transcripts, and all the resources we are sharing. And now enjoy today's episode, How to Be You and Sell. Hey, Dara. So excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Christine. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to our conversation because you have such a spiritual background that people often say that sales and spirituality just doesn't go together. And I would really love to help people that love what they do, that want to feel connected, that are spiritual and do great things in the world, like coaches, healers, creatives. I would love for them to understand that sales and being spiritual go perfectly together. In my personal point of view, you have to sell to make a bigger impact. But let's see your thoughts around that. Um, can you give us a tiny bit of a background how you discovered that selling and being spiritual goes well together? So it's so interesting. Very rarely do people actually identify as quickly as you did that I have that background. <laughs> it's typically something people think came later, but that's the interesting thing about public perception is that people know you where they meet you. So thank you for doing that diligence. It's also interesting because the first time I learned that I liked to sell or could sell anything had nothing to do with spirituality. It was in college when I was my sorority's recruitment chair. And I suddenly had this idea and this place that I had to sell, so to speak, to thousands of potential prospects. And I found out that I was really good at it. <laughs> cool. That sparked this light bulb in my head of, oh, selling doesn't have to look like X, Y, or Z because growing up, my parents had constantly said to me, you're going to be in sales. And I thought that meant that they only dreamt of me to go work at The Gap and fold sweaters. And I didn't understand that there were so <laughs> many facets to sales. So I thought, oh, well, I guess that's what they think specifically I'm going to be doing. 
And so when I had this experience at the age of 20 or 21 in college, I started to realize, oh, you're selling ideas, you're selling concepts, you're selling so many things. It's very a la Dan Pink and to sell as human that, you know, when I was single, I was selling myself, so to speak, to get someone to want to go on a date, which sounds provocative. I don't mean it that way. Or I was selling myself to get an upgrade on the airplane or, you know, selling an actual thing. And so for me, I think as someone who has always been a seeker and a spiritually inclined person, I never thought about them explicitly in the early years as do these things coexist? I just thought, how can I be me and be someone with authenticity and integrity while also selling something? And so that meant that I had to first and foremost actually believe in the thing that I was selling and truly believe that it would move the needle for whoever the stakeholder was that was the audience. Mm, I just I just love that. You, you had so many golden nuggets in that already that I'm really, really excited for that. So it's interesting that your parents always told you you're going to be in sales. That's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> well, they watched me. So I'm a twin. I have two brothers and one of them is my twin brother. And unbeknownst to both of us, we ended up working together. We've, we have a business now that's 10 years old and we've grown it into 38 states in the U.S., However, I constantly now reflect back to when we were in elementary school, so probably between the ages of maybe six and 10, and we would get those fundraisers where we'd have to go door to door in our neighborhood and sell wrapping paper and candy and candles, and he hated it. He is the consummate shy introvert. Those are two different things, and he has both of them. And I loved it. I would go door to door, leaving him at the end of the driveway and switching our pamphlets so that I would sell for him and then sell for me and then for him and then for me. And it didn't occur to me at the time what I was doing. I just enjoyed having those conversations with people who would answer the door and thought this was like sweet that some kid was kind of busting their entrepreneurial spirit open and making it happen. But it's when I looked at little things like that, I saw these precursors and cues in my childhood. So when it wasn't that, I was making beaded jewelry in the sun porch of my childhood home, trying to sell it to my parents' friends. Or you know, I was a cheerleader in second grade and I would sell candy bars to my mom's friends at the gym when she was a bodybuilder, which talk about a hard audience to sell to. So I had had all these moments where I was looking at the traces of what my childhood was displaying to me and realizing I had always been a salesperson. I just never put it together. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And so when I realized that, oh, you can have success doing it completely as yourself, completely in a way that is enjoyable and fun and doesn't feel tedious, then I was on board. Mm, wonderful. Do you remember the very, very first thing you ever sold? It was probably that wrapping paper. That wrapping paper? <laughs> yeah, it was that or those candy bars. It was probably around the same time. <laughs> I just love that. I ask all my guests and we get the best stories out of it. So do you think there is such a natural salesperson? Does that exist? Absolutely. I think that people are definitely predispositioned as that. However, it doesn't mean that you can't become one. So my twin brother is a great example of this. I said that he was the person who's at the end of the driveway, afraid to talk to anyone. So I sold on his behalf. He then also, before we started working together, started a career in sales and did exceptionally well. He just had to find the thing that motivated him and got him sparked to do it. And his drivers were different than mine. And at the time, he wasn't tapping into those, the thing, whatever the incentives were back then just didn't interest him enough to get outside of his fear or his reservations. Whereas for me, it wasn't scary in the first place, so it made it a lot easier. Mm, yeah. 
And when you when you look at that story, what would you tell an entrepreneur who might be a little bit afraid? What do they need to look for to make sales easier for them? If you're afraid of sales, you have to do the dive of why. Why are you scared? And keep asking why over and over until you really get to the core of it. Because typically it's limiting beliefs. It's insecurities. It's things like, I'm not good enough. They're going to laugh at me. I'm going to fall on my face. It's embarrassing. And sometimes it's that I don't know if this product or service is actually helpful or is going to impact them positively. If it's the latter, then you really need to either get deep into the product or service and use it enough to know and speak from personal experience. If you can't speak from personal experience because it's not a product for you, like for example, I sold several hundred thousand dollar home theater systems at one point in my career, which I personally could not afford at the time. So I had no personal experience with them, but I was able to understand and empathize enough with the customer Mm. And even shadowed enough to understand, you know, what is this helping them with? Why is this beneficial? Even though I was like, I could never use this myself. And so maybe it's X, Y, and Z versus the first job, official job I had after college where I sold was for a fashion brand where I sold expensive jeans to boutiques and department stores. And in that case, I was the customer. I wore them. I loved them. I understood it. I could model them when I was using it. Like it, it was a perfect fit. And I've sold everything in between, but it's the times when I really didn't get the product or didn't really feel aligned or I didn't believe in the value or something was off where I would retreat and feel that fear. And then other times it was the prior example of me saying, well, I don't know if I can sell this or what are they going to think? And I was getting in my own way. And the second I shifted my mindset from it being about me which this goes with everything, not just about sales, but from it not being about me to it being about me hampering the impact it could make on them. If I didn't give them an opportunity to access this thing, that was sort of the level moment for me that I sort of started saying to myself, you're stealing from people if you don't give them this opportunity to say yes or no. And then it, it also depersonalized it because if someone said no, that had nothing to do with me. It just meant it wasn't a fit for them or maybe I didn't explain it in the best way possible. And that was okay too because the other thing I came to realize was I appreciated the no's as much as I appreciated the yeses because the no's at least gave me a stopping point and either it was a no forever or a no for now and I would clarify and that would tell me, okay, maybe we come back later and the timing is just wrong. And the second you start to identify what's the real reason that's holding you back and then what's the real reason someone's saying yes, no, or maybe, the better it is for everyone. And so, I, for example, we were talking before we got on here about Atlanta where I live, which is in the South in the U.S. I'm not from here. I'm from the Northeast. And in the Northeast, people are generally very direct. They'll give you a no or a yes very effortlessly. In the South, it's different. It's, people joke, it's bless your heart culture, which basically means, oh, screw off, but I don't want to say it to you. Or they'll just give you, okay, thanks, great, send me information, let's talk about it later, because they're afraid to say no or they don't want to hurt your feelings. You have to be persistent and not bashful enough to say to someone, you know, I would just love to know, you know, where are you with this? Is this something that you want? And give them an opportunity because it's wasting your time otherwise. So having to address head on for anyone who's facing any fears, just get to the root of it and understand if you are selling something that you truly believe in and you absolutely know that it's going to help your customer, then it is behooven of you to get out and offer it to them. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And especially when you get those maybes, they drain your energy. I think that's very important. You know, you carry them with you. Yeah, that person said maybe, and maybe, maybe it's a yes. And this really takes off the other conversations you can have because your focus is not 100% in the other conversation. So I'm a huge fan of getting a clear yes or a no so that both people know where the journey goes. And if it's a no, obviously you want to know why. <laughs> so you, sometimes it's so simple things that we forgot to mention or they misunderstood and then we can clarify. And sometimes it's just not the best timing. I totally agree. Absolutely. And I think some of the other things that people mistake is they do so much of their communicating in sales in ways that feel safe to them. So they'll text or they'll email, but they won't get face-to-face -face or they won't get on a phone call. And the statistic, I think this came from the Virgin Group, it's something like 84% of transactions occur in face-to-face -face environments. And obviously there's all sorts of things people sell and there's evergreen products and there's e-commerce and there's a lot of ways that you can sell without that being the case. But really, it just often comes back down to what's the fear? Are you only transacting in certain ways because you're afraid of the interaction or you're afraid to learn the lesson or you're afraid to hear the no? And if that's the case, it's like anything that the more you do something, the less daunting it feels and the more normal and used to it it gets. And you can then look back with perspective and think, well, that actually wasn't that bad. And now this is old hat. So I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah, totally agree. So basically at the end of the day, it does come down to relationships. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I'm such a proponent of this. I, I built my career. I built my 38 state company. I built another company that serves 30,000 people, wrote a children's book on financial literacy. I did all of these things and sold all of it through relationships. I was never one who enjoyed cold calling. I never enjoyed door-to-door -door sales, albeit in my childhood. And I decided that I was only going to grow businesses that really tapped into what I enjoyed and into my strengths. And my strengths are in being curious and asking great questions. My strengths are in building rapport and finding ways to help other people first, which is, I think, the best way to build relationships. And my strengths are in curating and connecting people. So I also built a networking events organization that not only helped everyone within that, the 30,000 people, to connect with each other and expand their aims, but it also helped me grow a pipeline into my primary business and grow a side income. So it, I found ways to leverage the things that I was naturally gifted at, but also realized that no matter if relationship is your natural proclivity or not, it's essential that people are the keys to unlock the doors that you're looking to open. That even if you think it's, oh, it's this company or it's this position, that's a human, that's a person. And if you can't connect with them, if you can't meet them at a human level, that you're not going to go very far. And more so, we often think of people in these strategic or transactional ways, which I think until you can look at people as relationships, not as transactions, and as long-term, not as short-term, you're going to get the equation wrong. Because you know maybe Christine's in a position right now as the procurement manager at XYZ Company, and we have a relationship or we don't, but whatever happens, I only treat it as that. And then she moves to another company, and suddenly she's my entry point again that's how the world works. And she also knows people and talks to her peers in her industry and she can refer and recommend. And so until you're the type of person who's willing to build relationships and who's willing to do it from a giving centric lens, you're always going to be handicapping yourself. 
Yeah, I, I love that you pointed out the giving first. I think that's so essential. Even if you cold call, you have to start a relationship somewhere and it starts with the first conversation. So a cold call is also like an entry to have that conversation, to be curious about the other person on the line, to learn about them, to find out what they need and hopefully give it to them. So at some point there will be a sale somewhere or a referral or an introduction. Well, something you said in there is really important, which is they express their need or their problem and you hopefully give it to them. The counterpoint to that is when they express their need and it doesn't align with what you have, that you are honest about that. One of the things that people remarked to me when I was in my early 20s and just starting my sales career was how much they appreciated my candor in those ways when I would say, you know what, this actually isn't a fit for you. And here's an option that you might want to look into that I'm actually not affiliated with. But people remember that. And that's where you begin to build the trust and rapport that creates the sustainable long-term relationship. So while it might feel like a loss for you in that moment, it's going to be a bigger loss if you push someone into something that's not actually aligned for them. And that energy stays with you too, and you're going to feel crappy about it. So that's not the way. But I also want to share an exercise that I think is a really simple and powerful way to build a giving-centric network and just challenge yourself. And so I call it the give it forward challenge. I typically ask people to do it for 30 days, but start with as much or as little as works for you. And it's very simple. You go into each day intentionally asking one person, how can I be of service to you in some way today with no strings attached? And typically you need to prompt them a little more because often they feel hesitant and wonder, are there actually strings attached and what are you doing? And it can be as simple as saying, hey, Christine, I've committed to myself for 30 days to give it forward to one person a day. And today you're the person I'd really like to do that for. I promise you there's no strings attached. And actually, if you ask me what you can do for me, I'm going to tell you nothing. If you want to do something, you can give it forward to someone else. But what's something you're challenged by right now? What's a goal you have? Or what's a specific thing that you're working on that maybe I can help move the ball forward for you? And when I've done this many, many times over and in community with hundreds of others, I have found so many wonderful things. One, it helps you deepen the relationship with the person that you're talking to or kickstarted in the first place. It allows you then to circle back to other members of your community and your network because often they're the person that you're going to connect and do that three-way introduction to help the first person get their aims advanced, which benefits everyone. It also helps you take better stock and take less for granted what you have to offer in the first place because I think we often think, well, yeah, it's great to want to be helpful, but what do I have to offer? you'll come to find that these things are often much easier and much quicker wins than you even expected in the first place. And then lastly, it's really fun. I end up feeling some of the happiest times ever when I am actively in one of these practices because I think it was Thoreau who said this, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but something along the lines of, it's this funny occurrence that when we do for others, we're actually doing for ourselves. And that's completely wrong, but that's the essence of his quote. And it's fascinating because we do it to do it for others and get out of our own minds and our own BS but then we end up feeling so wonderful as a byproduct. So I'd say do this for yourself and don't do it passively because, you know, Christine and I, I know that we are both people who go out passively open and willing to help people, but there is a difference when you enter your day thinking, who is that person today? How am I going to help them? And then setting out to do it. And the other kind of caveat or asterisk here is you're not a fairy godmother. You don't have to promise to make it happen. I've had people ask me for things like, hey, I want to play on Augusta National where the masters are played. 
can you get me on? I spent three months trying to get this gentleman on that course and I failed massively because that is an next to impossible ask for a non-member. However, when I came back to this guy, Sean, he said to me, no one has ever gone that out of their way to help me with something. I will never forget that. And our friendship has forever been deepened because of it. So just know that your intention doesn't have to mean that you wave the magic wand and that everything works out. But this, I think, is a simple and effective practice to build your relationships, which ultimately are what will cause people to flex their, re their reciprocity reflex, which is not why you do it. It's not about the manipulation. But people will over time be like, what are you working on? How can I help you? And that is how the world goes round. And for anyone, this has probably been talked about a hundred times on your podcast, but if you have not read Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, this puts scientific evidence to the anecdote that I am talking about. Mm, I just love it. I'm such a big fan of the book, The Go-Giver, um, yes. Bob Burke and John David Mann. And it's, you know, it's about giving first. And it gave me the permission when I was in sales in the corporate world. And, you know, you were pushed, you high paced environment, lots of stress, you need to meet your numbers and all of that. And once I read the book and gave myself permission to just be who I am, and if the person didn't like me on the phone, that was totally fine with me. And if I could help them otherwise, with a connection, with something like an introduction, I would just start doing that. And it totally changed everything for me. So I just love that you pointed that out and you brought something with you today that I love on 55 best questions to break the ice and really get to know someone. So for people to actually exercise, have great questions, because sometimes, especially when you're a little bit more on the introvert side, it's difficult to go out and ask that question. But if you have great examples, it's easier to start the conversation to understand that whatever you say, it has importance. Just yes. sometimes sharing something feels maybe weird. And, you know, when I talked about like the Go-Giver book and I started to open up, I also started to just share like maybe random stuff where earlier I believed it doesn't have any impact. Like who would love to know that, you know, I have two dogs and four cats, nobody cares. <laughs> so I would never mention like this, those things, but it was so good for the conversations. Not that I mentioned it in every conversation, but just saying something about me and sharing something of my experience made such a deep difference in the connection. Yeah. You found a way to immediately build rapport. So anytime you talk about pets and animals or family or what people are excited about right now are things that light them up a bit and get you to find a way to back into knowing them where you're not starting with one of my two least favorite questions on the planet. The first being, what do you do? Because I think it is so limiting and people feel sized up and like you're just trying to get something out of them. Even though I understand that it's sort of like the present days, how's the weather, where you're simply just trying to start somewhere and you think, well, everyone probably does something, so let's start. I think sharing, or in your case, asking some of these icebreaker questions, which are free, and I'm happy to offer them to your audience, and they've been downloaded over 1.3 million times because people are seeking these ways to connect more genuinely and authentically. I break them down into mild, medium, and hot, so you can determine and ascertain based on your demeanor and based on the environment you're in and where you are in this conversation, 
what feels natural to you. And it can be anything from as simple as what brought you here to this event, just so you can begin to understand what motivated someone to be here and how do you start to almost sleuth out how can I then find ways to be useful or just listen to this person, not be thinking ahead about what do I get to say next and what's it about me? And this is honestly, I'm an ambivert myself, which is equal parts extrovert as introvert. So I get where introverts are coming from. And this is an introvert's dream is to ask questions and be a great listener, which puts you in a much better place to build a real relationship than someone who's just talking and talking because people psychologically like to talk and hear about themselves and share. So when you leave a conversation where you've asked someone a lot of thoughtful questions, not in like a I'm interviewing you way, but I ask one, I listen, I ask a follow-up related to that and we go and go. And in there, I pepper in things about myself and moments where I find, oh, you're also born in Philadelphia. Me too. That's so cool. Tell me about your childhood there. You find these cues and that's when people remember you and that's where real relationships begin. But when you look at a kickstart and an icebreaker as how do I immediately sell you something? You've already lost. You have to be patient. And so these questions I think are really helpful to have a couple in your pocket. You know, another easy one is what's something you've read lately that you really liked? Because that can just come from a place of you're looking for something to read. They can tell you about it. Who cares if you don't have the same taste? It gives you a window into what matters to this person. And then they go much deeper than that. Like what's something you say that you want to do, but you know that you never will and beyond. And so you keep a couple of these in your mind's eyes so that when you have those moments of, well, here's an opportunity to go deeper with someone or to kickstart a relationship that you're ready. Yeah, just love it. So people can go to dara.co and obviously I will have all of your links and this wonderful gift in the show notes. And just to leave us off, what would be like a hot question to ask one so that people can take a note with finishing up this wonderful episode? What's something you're grateful for right now? Well, I just loved this interview with Dara. She's such a powerhouse, so confident, and she knows that when she tunes into what she loves, she will just sell so much more. And I hope that happens for you too, that you really get clear about what you love, why you love the product or service that you are selling, and then you are just offering it to the world. With the next interview, we are going to go even deeper and we are going to talk to shift from selling to sharing so that you can get rid of your internal blocks of shifting your belief system into a sales success mindset. Also hop on over to christineschlonsky.com, find the podcast tab and find the show notes, the transcript, all the resources we are sharing and my invitation to you to sign up for the sales journaling to success. This is my online course that I am offering free right now to all my hard sellers and to people who really want to make that shift from a sales mindset to a sales success mindset. So hop on over to christineschlonsky.com, find the podcast tab and just sign up. I take you on a 30-day journey where we will make huge progress in your belief system, shifting you into a sales success mindset where you sell with ease, grace, and confidence. And most importantly, you have fun on your journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful day wherever you are in this beautiful world and tune in soon. Bye for now.